trees are so important to us. And not just for their practical uses in, for instance, furniture making and construction, but also for the fruit and nuts they produce. As children, we love to climb them, and as adults, they inspire us with their beauty and their majesty. They've inspired the poetry and music of some of our best Irish authors. I went out to a hazel wood because a fire was in my head and cut and peeled a hazel wand and hooked a berry to a thread. And when white moths were on the wing and moth-like stars were flittering out, I dropped the hazel in a stream and hooked a little silver trout. The poem The Song of Wandering Angus by W.B. Yeats being recited there by Mary White who runs the Black Stairs Eco Centre. Welcome here to, to our centre where we conduct our foraging workshops and our fungi workshops and we have exclusive glamping as well with our shepherd's huts. But today we have our Celtic Tree Trail. I've come to her Celtic Tree Trail with the aim of understanding just how important trees were to our Celtic ancestors who lived in Ireland about 5,000 years ago. I want to hear their stories of folklore and legend about trees. Hear the stories of the trees, why they were so worshipped by our forebears. And to use those stories as the foundations upon which to plant our modern day story of trees as a carbon sink. The CO2 is converted to carbon in the living structure of trees. But first to the Celts, who considered trees sacred and who divided trees into four different categories. The hierarchy was the, the, the noble trees and then you had uh, the lower, the commoners and the lower divisions of the wood and then bushes of the wood. So they had those four categories mm-hmm. and they graded them according to the, how useful they were to their way of life. Mm-hmm. So obviously the oak, the ash, the hazel, the Scots pine, the yew and the crab apple were considered noble because uh, they really didn't know why the, the oak was so uh, important to them, but they knew it was the biggest in the forest and they knew the timber was really hard. And they probably made a, an early cup of Nescafe from the acorns because you can grind up and you can make acorn tea and it is very interesting. <coughs> it wouldn't be my best brew, but uh, that's why they loved it. They, they knew that the, the oak was towering above all the other trees in in Ireland at the time. The Cecil Oak has been adopted as our national tree and it is said that they take 300 years to grow, 300 years staying and 300 years dying. Mary and her husband Robert have a beautiful old oak on their land. It is a magnificent tree and um, the fruit of the oak of course is the acorn. So there's a very good forester around here and we got him here and we asked him how old it was and he hummed and hawed and he's a gas man and he says more than his prayers. But he reckons it's about 400 years old anyway, if not more. It sits close to another of the nobles, the Scots pine. They worshipped it because of the resin that oozes out and they used it to caulk their boats with pitch and also... um, put it on their fur skins and things like that to you know, keep, keep them waterproof. So that's why they worship that. And also for the, the pine nuts. Now these are commercially bought pine nuts, but these are the nuts that come from the Scots pine. And uh, they're very expensive to buy uh, nowadays, uh, but you can get them here from the cones. It's brutal to get them out of it. So they worship them for the nuts in the diet and for the, the, the resin that came out here. 
they really worshipped them and they valued their trees for the food they gave, for the hardwood they gave, for the drinks they gave. Probably the the wild apple or the crab apple was an early form of cider. Mm. And there was no off license in those days. So they had to make their drinks and their fun uh, from nature. And uh, and then things like holly, which is such a hard wood. And we know from reading about it that they probably made their chariots out of uh, holly. We have a lot of holly on our land here at Caledmond. And if you ever try and split a log of holly, it really is one of the hardest woods. Mm. Very hard to do anything with it. While the ash is a much more uh, supple wood. And uh, obviously the clash of the ash, hurleys are are made out of it. Sadly, the ash now has uh, a disease called ash dieback. And we're going to see ash disappear from the Irish countryside. And that would be a tragedy in Celtic times because... They hollowed out little bowls for it and they used the kind of antiseptic sap from the ash to cure kind of if you scratched your hand or if you got a cut or something, an early form of antiseptic. So this is the yew, very, very poisonous. And uh, they knew it was poisonous and the berries are really poisonous uh, to us. Yeah, Yeah, a beautiful red berry with a kind of a little split in it. But missile thrushes and things will... um, eat part of it and get rid of the the toxic part but they planted it in their early graveyards or where their fallen comrades uh, were put to rest uh, because they knew it was poisonous they wanted to keep the cattle out so the cattle wouldn't destroy the the where the bodies were lying and um, so as <coughs> as I said the coffin makers say so now it's not going to be tall enough for any of you girls so we need somebody to lie down and go to measure for your coffin. <laughs> oh yeah, you're super, you'll fit in. <laughs> just about, just about. They, they just look at you now when you're dead and they know and they size you up. That's the original word for you. I'm sizing up somebody and if it's an undertaker, they're sizing you up for something different. But this is what they used to, to measure you with a, a U, uh, which was known as a fay in Celtic literature. And uh, it's a very hard wood to... The Celtic noble trees were the oak, Scots pine, holly, ash, yew, crabapple and of course the hazel. Well, this was very important uh, and it's a scraggly tree and this is a good sample of it uh, and it's not, it doesn't look a fine tree. First of all, um, the fruit is the hazel nuts and they're very good uh, and they're okay this year. The other thing that was very important which you saw in the film was that um, this is a natural growth cycle of them. Uh, they grow on one or two major trunks and then they send up all these saplings from the same source. And these were very important for um, uh, keeping animals in and out. Uh, mm-hmm. The enemies or out too. Yeah. And the, the origin of um, clay and wattles made, um, yates and all that sort of thing, was this. They put these in very close things and put mud up against them, very primitive, to keep um, enemies out or animals in. And as a measure of the Celts' devotion to these trees, they levied a fine on those who cut them down. If you cut down a noble tree, there was a penalty or a dira or squelaga, uh, and you could be fined maybe losing a cow. And as we know from history, that would be like losing your house today. So there was respect and a love of trees that we as Irish people need to get back and get back quick. And so that's why I'm really so interested in the trees and promoting uh, tree culture and looking at trees. Happy trees. Great to be alive.
And before our little group breakup, I chat with another participant about her love of trees. Since we've been in Ireland, we planted a little native forest, 200 little trees. It's about four years ago, and they're probably about two and a half, three metres already. I know, it's amazing just watching them grow. Brilliant. And why did you decide to do that? Um, we've got three acres which we are rewilding. So we're in an area that's surrounded by um, farmlands, so a lot of spraying and um, agriculture. And it was just an opportunity really to have a, a sanctuary, nature sanctuary, and also to see what wild island ground, what, what comes out of the ground when it's left. And because the fields were always grazed, there were no trees. So that's why we planted the native trees. But the hedgerows are all there. And they've started encroaching into the fields. So the sloes are creeping in and the hawthorns. And um, so it's yeah, slow, slowly taking shape to wow. what it used to be. And do you, do you think that the trees are so important nowadays, aren't they, for... Uh, in response to climate change as well. Absolutely, and that's why that's why we've done the set this project going. It's going to be a, a long-term project, being very aware of, of environmental and the lack of trees um, in Ireland, and then all the, the carbon capture, not only the trees but the grass and and all of the plants and the the biodiversity. Since we've been there six years, and the butterfly numbers have hugely increased. The birds are unbelievable. Black caps eating the elderberries, and um, um, we heard a cuckoo the other day. So, literally, we, we're just watching the land just beaming now. It's a nice image to see the land beaming. Kevin Black would appreciate such a description as he's a tree lover himself. I've got this fascination with trees, and the Irish culture has, is deeply rooted in trees, you know, in Irish language, the, the numerical system of trees. I think they're very spiritual, but I think we've lost our spiritual connection with them because of historic deforestation of the landscape over the eight last what, couple of thousand years. But I think there's a spiritual thing about trees. And the great thing about a tree, if you plant a forest today, it's not for you, it's for your children and for your children's children. And I think that's the greatest gift anybody could give because when you sit under a tree, you know somebody who planted that is most probably two generations gone. And I think that's amazing. Kevin is based up in rural County Louth and he's the man who I was recommended to talk to about trees and climate change. I'm a biologist, a trained biologist, and I've been involved with forests and climate change for the last 20 odd years. Um, And I run a consultancy called Forest Environmental Research and Services. And we deal with many aspects of forestry, climate change, and other biodiversity aspects and um, ecology um, issues, particularly in Ireland. Um, We employ six people and as I say, my, my speciality is forests and climate change. If our ancestors, 5,000 years from now, were to listen to our story in relation to trees, just like we've been hearing about the Celts and trees, then the common theme in all the stories would be carbon and climate change. Why? Because of the tree's carbon cycle. What happens is CO2 is removed from the atmosphere in the process of photosynthesis. You know, this is the way plants generate energy. So they remove CO2 from the atmosphere and exchange back um, oxygen. Uh, And in that process, the CO2 is converted to carbon in the living structure of trees. Uh, 
which eventually then is transferred to the dead matter in the forest and then down to the soils in the forest soils. And these accumulate gradually over time. We're really interested in trees now because of their ability to capture the carbon in the atmosphere. Over hundreds of years through the burning of coal and oil, carbon dioxide has been released and has been accumulating in the Earth's atmosphere. It's in carbon dioxide's nature to absorb and radiate heat, and this is causing global warming. Trees store carbon, and so do tree products. In addition to forest storing carbon, the products coming out of forests also store carbon, like harvest of wood products, like tables and chairs that are there for a long time that, that store carbon. But also you have emission savings by substituting wood with other products, like cement or steel, in construction or construction of wood houses will have a, a lower carbon footprint than a cement house, for example. So it's these three processes that really drive carbon capture in forests and the products from forestry. Kevin himself has been involved in experiments to measure and put a number against just how much carbon dioxide trees absorb. There's numerous ways you can do it from highly specialised scientific ways to standardised inventories to models. So. Um, the, the best way to do it from a scientific point of view is to use a technique called eddy covariance, which actually measures the real-time exchange of CO2 between the atmosphere and the forest. And uh, I started this work, set up one of the first towers in about 20, 2001 in, in County Leash, looking at uh, spruce forests and looking at how much carbon they could remove. And you get a real-time measurement, which is very scientifically robust. Unfortunately, because of the technique, you can't apply it to the whole country if you want to do a country assessment. So if you do the country assessment, what you typically do is you'll use um, data sources like the National Forest Inventory and use the measurements of trees um, and to calculate the carbon stored in the forest. And eventually, once you get a good understanding of these and the processes that go on, you could start producing models that you could project forward health forests may grow and how much they're capturing under different scenarios. And by doing so, you could get a good understanding, first of all, of what their contribution is to climate change, but also how you may manage them better to increase carbon capture in the future. In Kevin Black's opinion, it is important for Ireland to plant more trees, a process known as afforestation. And that careful attention needs to be placed on what trees are planted and where they are planted. We should focus on very specific areas where we could capture carbon, uh, maximise carbon capture and also have biodiversity considerations. Uh, For example, we have a a long history of afforestation of peatlands in the West, which was driven to create jobs in the 1950s. And this is understandable. But the climate change impacts of plant planting forests on peatlands is not a good strategy at all because uh, these forests could become a net emission after one or two rotations. And this is what is happening at present in the country. So in short, yes, we need to continue afforestation. We need to incentivize landowners. We need better incentivization for landowners to do it. But the types of forests and where we plant them should be looked at more carefully in relation to the landscape and where it might fitting more beneficially when you're looking at ecosystem and what forests we might grant aid. 
you know, it, it might, uh, I strongly support grant aid of native woodlands where you don't get a lot of revenue from timber, but they have great ecosystem service value. And um, those kind of forests should be encouraged. Um, and commercial forests, you've got to keep on growing commercial industry, but in the right place. And as we try to do our bit for climate change and keep the planet from overheating, Kevin Black advocates the embracing of a new value system, one not based on money and the economy, but based on carbon. There are various mechanisms that have been proposed, like a, tra- a carbon trading mechanism where you make carbon a commodity. So uh, if, if you don't cut a forest down, you might get paid for the carbon that you capture rather than the timber that you you're cutting down, but uh, a lot of these carbon trading mechanisms are very difficult to set up. Although this is seen to be one of the new pillars that the EU uh, DG Climate is, is has putting forward as a incentivization for landowners to rather farm forests for carbon rather than for timber or a mixture of products. You must remember that forests serve very many other ecosystem services like biodiversity, recreation, social amenity. So there's a lot of functions of forest. We can't always concentrate on one. But in the past, there's been a skewed balance towards timber timber production and no acknowledgement for the ecosystem services that forests offer. It's all a balancing act. And that balancing act is key in the management of the forests as time goes on. If our forests are not well managed, then they could end up releasing more carbon than they are capturing. Once you pass the primary afforestation phase, particularly with commercial forestry, obviously you start utilising the product and you cut it down. Now, when you cut a forest down, you're removing the timber from the site. You're converting it to harvested wood product, but there's a lot of that timber is burned for energy and lost during harvest processes. So a lot of the carbon is not retained. But in the forest ecosystem, you have massive emissions again from disturbance. And uh, this this is a result of turnover of uh, living matter that is now dead and it starts decomposing. Some of it becomes resilient and is stored over the time, but you could lose as much as 75% of the carbon that you capture due to a disturbance event. So, uh, it's, so, so what happens is after that, even if you replant it, it takes a long time to accumulate that carbon again. And if you follow exactly the same strategy on one stand, Uh, you will have a steady state. You won't increase or decrease your carbon after the first rotation. However, at the landscape level, and this is quite difficult to grasp, because if you don't sustain your forest afforestation levels at the same rate, um, you will start uh, capturing less carbon at some time because you have less trees regrowing. So, um, for example, in Ireland, we had a very high forestation rate in the 1990s, 25,000 hectares. We're down to two, below 2,000 hectares now. And as a result, those trees that were planted in the 1990s are getting clear felled and they large emissions. But we're only replanting, we're only afforesting, even though these are replanted, we're only afforesting 2,000 hectares. So the amount of carbon that's been captured by the whole landscape is less than that being emitted. So, so when we run national projection models based on the assumed harvest going forward, we see that the total forest estate might become a net emitter by 2035-2040. So, and I think this is important to be recognised. You know, everybody looks as this being the silver bullet. It's not. It's, it's about management of the state. And that's why I'm so strong on the management issue. And that management must be done not just on a local and national scale, but also with an eye to what's happening on a global level. We have to mention 
deforestation and forestry activities globally, you know. And when you look at it globally, the important thing is if we stop cutting down trees today in our forests, we need timber from somewhere. And where do we get it from? So we've got to look at the global issue. So there again, that's what I'm saying. We need a balance between commercial forestry and the ecosystem value that we have. We can't just change to some alternative management system where we have no timber and import timber from deforestation areas in in East Asia or, or Africa or South America. So, uh, you know, it's got to be sustainable and we've got to look at the global picture. There's an enormous balancing act ahead of us. I wonder, did the Celts ever have similar balancing issues? And if so, what did they do? My thanks to the Blackstairs Eco Centre, Mary and Robert White, and to Kevin Black. And before we go, here's Michael Summers, Forestry Advisor with Chagas. Here's an interesting fact about trees. A single tree can absorb 22 kilograms of carbon dioxide a year. That's roughly the equivalent of emissions of a 50-mile car drive. On an annual basis, one hectare of trees can consume carbon dioxide equivalent to a 64,200-mile drive. Trees from seed to sawdust is funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine as part of the Woodland Support Project.